Happy New Year, party people. Thanks for downloading our podcast, This American Horror Story. Here's our review for the 11th episode of Season 4, American Horror Story Freak Show. This episode is called Magical Thinking, and we finally get to see Neil Patrick Harris show up. Uh, Now, how you feel about him showing up so late in the season is uh, what we are interested in knowing. Uh, Tyler and I feel a little differently about it. But uh, let us know on our Gmail or Facebook or Twitter, whatever you want. Um, And I guess let's just get right in. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Houston. Woohoo! We're back. It was a long break. Welcome back, my friend. Do you have a nice holiday? I did. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. It is 20, 2015. Uh, we're on the back half. Well, really, the back like quarter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> season four of American Horror Story, the home stretch. Um, yep. So much to talk about, and I'm excited to get into it with you. Um, we are going to have a bit of a shorter episode today because you have a, a really awesome, important projects you're working on that you need to uh, get going on. So we're going to try to keep this mainly uh, discussing theories and analysis and not quite the same amount of um, step-by-step kind of plot, um, I guess, kind of going over the plot that we might normally do. Um before we dive into that, though, what are you drinking this evening? I'm drinking absolutely nothing. I'm kind of doing this... Well, I'm drinking water, but I'm doing this thing where <laughs> I don't drink for three days in a row and see what, see what, see what happens with my body. <laughs> well, congratulations to you on that New Year's resolution. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. I, am not, I am not doing that. <laughs> what are and you I drinking? am having... I'm drinking a sour beer, and it is delicious. Uh, so you're missing out. That's basically what I want to say right now is that you are missing out. Um, so before we begin, as always, uh, guys, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash this American Horror Story podcast and email us at this American Horror Story at gmail.com. And of course, uh, leave us reviews on Stitcher or iTunes or any of those things. We really appreciate it and um, like to hear your comments and like to try to improve the show as much as possible. Anyway, without further ado, let's dive into this episode called Magical thinking. It sounds a little trippy if you think about it. Um, of course, this episode introduced Neil Patrick Harris, which we knew was coming. Um, we'd heard about this way earlier, kind of at the beginning of this season of American Horror Story. Before we even talk about kind of um, the main plot points, how do you think? Yeah. I mean, what do you think he brought to the show? Did you like him? I thought he did a good job. Um, I like him. I think he's a great actor. He's very talented. Uh, with what he did with his character, uh, pretty good, pretty impressive. Now, the bigger picture, do I think his character is necessary? And what's the point of his character? That I don't know yet. And that was the only part that was kind of throwing me, that we get this new character in the last three episodes. Obviously, he has to serve a purpose. I'm still trying to figure out what that purpose is. But, very happy to see Neil Patrick Harris. He's awesome. I agree with you on all accounts. I... I'm a big fan of his, and I, I like what he brought to the show, and I think that he, you know, it takes talent to make that kind of character, com- you know, make it believable and compelling, um, and I think he manages that, uh, but I'm excited to talk with you about some theories about, you know, what the overall purpose of his character is going to serve. So, right. 
Um, let's start off first talking about Jimmy and his loss of hands. Oh, Jimmy. So, at the beginning, kind of this intro section, we basically get the kind of rehash of what we missed from last episode, which is um, kind of how Stanley, the whole process of Stanley convincing Jimmy to, to lose his hands. Right. Um, and I, frankly, I was kind of hoping there was going to be some more of a surprise here, but it pretty much plays out as, as we imagined. Yeah. Um, Stanley, once again, is just super shitty. And he kind of pulls on Jimmy's heartstrings by referencing Meep. Um, and anyway. I, I do want to say, though, as this whole scene was playing out, I was very nervous that we might see Jimmy with his hands intact. And it was just a big old tease last uh, episode where they showed that he was going to get his hands removed. And if that had happened, I would have been furious. But they followed through, and he did lose not just the left hand that he was uh, uh, selling, but Stanley was shitty and took both. Right, he did take both hands, which I think we were both kind of skeptical about whether or not that was a real hoax because of the way they didn't actually show it last episode. So I agree with you. It was somewhat satisfying to see them follow through with that, and... And that it wasn't just another, um, you know... False scare. Yeah, like kind of dreamlike fake vision. Um, Which they love to do. Right. And so we actually wake up and kind of, we feel that same horror when Jimmy looks down and sees his his bloody stumps for real. Because I was was still thinking at this point, maybe they're going to throw us some kind of... um, A curveball in there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, commenting on the nurse kind of being crappy to him because he, uh, they still think that he slaughtered the whole Tupperware party. Right. Um, do you think that Jimmy would have... Do you think he was really in such a crisis situation that Stanley kind of pointed out? I mean, Meep was so vulnerable because he was small and not able to protect himself. But then again... Meep hadn't killed anybody like Jimmy, supposedly, or they thought he'd killed the whole Tupperware party. So was the situation as dire as kind of it was painted by Stanley? Because clearly Jimmy thought so. Yeah, I don't think it was as bad as um, as Stanley makes Jimmy think it is, because Stanley obviously has motives to get, get create and manipulate Jimmy to feel like he's more desperate than he actually is. That being said, as Jimmy says later... Stanley's the only one that came to visit him, so of course he's going to believe this guy because he's seemingly the only one who cares. Well, also, okay, so question there. What is that about? Why is why didn't, I mean, Elsa come visit him? Or is it because they, do you think they actually believe that Jimmy did it? Or, I mean, we know Maggie's pissed at him. Good um, question, and I, but I really only think that it's been only like a day or two days or something like that. At least that's the way I thought this time has transpired. It's not like he's been in there for months and no one's come. Also to be, also to be fair to some of the other freaks like Paul and um, Amazon Eve and stuff like that, the police already killed Meep, right? And so they probably don't want to go, you know, by themselves to the police station where there's tons of police who are already kind of angry at them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that could explain why they didn't come. It doesn't necessarily explain why Elsa didn't show up and it doesn't, well, we know Maggie was pissed at him, I guess, which is why she didn't come. Um, Though Dell hadn't come until, you know. Jimmy was in the hospital too, but you know he was dealing kind of with his own shit. It kind of seems like, and maybe didn't realize what was going on. One thing before we start, to, we talk about Dell. Um, 
when Jimmy wakes up and looks at his hands, did you get a deja vu vibe by at all? I want to see if you felt the same thing I did. Uh, for Asylum? Yeah, it felt very Asylum-esque yeah. to me. Like, yeah, I agree. Getting yeah. flashbacks to somebody like being chained to a table before shock therapy or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Or um, Dr. Uh, What's-His-Face. Threadson? Uh, uh, was it Threadson? Oh no, no, no. No. oh, no, you're talking about um, the Nazi doctor. Um, yeah. Anyway, him putting his, you know, uh, his zombie people together. Arden. 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 Thank you, Dr. Arden. Thank you. Who yeah. I got in that stupid quiz. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I yeah, got Chris, Chris did put a really fun Facebook about, uh, uh, quiz on Facebook about which um, American Horror Story character you are. So if you want to go check that out, you should. Chris got Dr. Arden, which I don't know what it says about you. I got Jimmy, which I think is kind of boring, but at least I'm not Arden. So. Yeah. <laughs> F you. So, so let's talk about Del for a minute. He comes to see Jimmy. Um, and he almost seems more upset that Jimmy's hands are missing than Jimmy is. Yeah. Is is this like his fatherly love finally kind of oozing out of him? Partially, but I also think, uh, A, he didn't get there in time. And B, he knows how shady Stanley is. Uh, and yeah, part of it, like you said, is, you know, maybe he feels responsible because of uh, not taking care of him like he should as a father. Well... Right, and as you said, I mean, Jimmy's kind of being naive, and, and Del recognizes that, you know. I mean, Jimmy even says himself, I have no choice but to believe that this is what's going to happen, because otherwise, you know, that's, that's you know, I chose to fall for him and, and give away my hand, so I kind of have to believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, now, what did you, yeah, I think you're going to go into this, but like Del and Jimmy kind of talk about Del's background and with his family, and Jimmy asks him why he doesn't have the lobster claws. What did you take away from that as and their relationship so it's interesting because we've talked about Dell being a freak who hides his freak on the inside and it's it was interesting to hear how in his family it was a family of everyone with lobster claws except for him and but as a child especially it sounds like he was kind of um looked down upon for being the only normal one and kind of treated right. treated like crap treated like a freak for being not the freak which of course is is ironic mm-hmm. um but it reminded me of this episode, you know, the the telephone, excuse me, the old TV show, The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this really famous episode of it where um, this person wakes up in like a, a surgery, like a, a surgery room, and you're seeing everything from this person's eyes, and like all the people uh, are like alien kind of people, uh, all the doctors and nurses and stuff like that who have like really gross, disgusting features, and are like, but they're all looking at this person who you're seeing through their eyes and they're saying oh he's so disgusting and everything and that accident you know we were barely able to put her back together and he looks so terrible and then at the very end you see the real face of the person whose eyes you're looking through and it's a completely normal person oh boy and so that's kind of a classic twilight zone um storyline that i kind of it, it just reminded me of that like yeah who you know being a freak is a matter of perspective and i think that's kind of what they're trying to illustrate with this story about dell right and it's nice they finally got that out with dell as opposed to you know regular actual like regular people who come to the freak shows and make fun of them and and you know the whole society's the real freak show where now we see a freak who became a freak because he was normal it was just interesting spin yeah, I thought it was an interesting perspective change. Also, I want to ask you, Dell says he ran away as soon as he saw that Jimmy was born with the lobster claws. Why was that? Is it because he just wanted to distance himself from yeah. people who were visible well, freaks? 
I like to see, first of all, he did not run away as soon as he saw them because l- lest we forget when he was born by the tree, Dell was trying to get people to, you know, pay money to hold Jimmy and take a photo with him or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, he ran away because maybe he was a little scared off with the idea that he he still felt like the freak because he didn't belong in the family, but his son did. Or the vice versa, which is his son was the freak of this family, like his family was, and he despised them because of how they treated him, and he didn't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Could go either way. Well, and I can't you you can't help but think that maybe he felt a little bit guilty too for being someone mm-hmm. who kind of had gotten away without having these freakish. Um, yeah. And now it's back that, that, in his face. Right, and now it's back in his face, and it would be a constant reminder, you know, and as he grew, you know, as Jimmy grew older and he saw him kind of being um, abused or, um, you know, being treated poorly because of this freakish nature, maybe he would constantly be reminded of, of that was his his fault, you know, that was his DNA yeah. that produced that. Um, and he just couldn't live with that, so he, he ran away. Um, and we also see kind of this touching scene of... Um, Dell feeding his son, and I kind of wish they hadn't said it. How Dell hadn't said, you know, oh, I'm finally it's feeding so my son. Obvious, like, because like, I mean, it was almost yeah, it was clear. Obviously, Jimmy's pretty pathetic. He's stuck in bed. He can't eat his own food, and so Dell starts feeding him. And you can you automatically you know think, oh, Dell wasn't there for him as a father when he was younger, and now he's finally being a father figure, and he's he finally to getting to feed us. his own son. <laughs> but instead, he's like, oh, I'm finally getting to feed my own son. Yeah, it's yeah. like, please don't beat us over the head with it. We're not idiots. I mean, yeah. Give us a little credit. <laughs> right. So I liked that imagery. I wasn't a big fan of how they beat us over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I mean, what did you think of their acting and the interactions in the scene? It was good. I, I, you know, as he was doing it, though, I did write down. I was like, he's still not redeemed for what he's done. But, you know, he's – and it's hard to believe. Like, I thought he was better – remember when they were at the bar and he picked up the brick and he was about to bash Jimmy's – head in to get his hand so and that wasn't that long ago so it's hard for him to make this complete transformation in whatever time uh has transpired since then but i mean i we're supposed to take away from this that he was trying and that they have a decent relationship now well and clearly he's a pretty volatile dude but um you know everything the timeline in american horror story you know people's the way they change and progress through life happens at a speed faster, it seems like, than how it would normally happen in in a person's life. But I guess it kind of has to for the plot of the show. So Yep. Uh, but you're right. You know, the fact that he's, like, bounced back and forth and back and forth already and kind of kind of come to this conclusion is not wholly believable. But, hey, it's it, this is the world um, they've built for us. So, uh, Dell works with Amazon Eve to get Jimmy out of, uh, to, to keep Jimmy from going back to the police station. I loved it. She was like, hey, let's team up. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, no, let's team up for Jimmy. I was like, yeah, I love Eve. She's awesome. Amazon Eve is a badass. I appreciated that as well. Uh, she was a badass when she throws that brick, like, straight through the oh my police God. cars. Yeah, she should windshield. be Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know. They do their business, and Dell kind of beats... I mean, clearly they kill the two... I, yeah. Oh, I think he even says later he kills the two cops. Um, yeah. Does, does Dell kill both of them, or does Eve kill one? I don't remember. He does kill both of them. We, I think we only really see him kill one of them um, when he keeps bashing that guy, but they're both dead, and he takes 
you know, blame for both of them. So I think we only really see him kill one, but we assume he kills the other one as well. Because we don't see Eve do it, I don't think. No, I don't think. I think you're right. I think he hits the one as soon as he jumps out of the car and kind of runs out of nowhere. And then the other guy, he after he gets shot, he attacks him and kills him. Which, chases him down and beats him. Which we never... He gets shot and then it's just kind of... I guess he's a strong man, so he can just kind of shirk yeah. it off, which he seems to do. Um because at the end, he we don't really hear about that again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we talk about, I want to save that for last because it's kind of you know whenever we have a goodbye to a character, I yeah, like to save that as a Ooh, final. That thing. was a killer ending, but yeah, we'll get back to that. No pun intended, or maybe pun is intended. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, let's talk about Chester. Mm-hmm. So this kind of part talks. Uh, you know, we start off with Dot and and Bet kind of talking about how. They've grown um, closer to each other, and they no longer need their diaries here. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see, you know, this is, of course, coming in the wake of Jimmy basically um, rejecting Dot, but they seem to have a better relationship and be in a better place. What kind of has transpired between these two that they're at this good place? This is them ready to, well, losing their innocence, but also ready to lose their innocence, having made some poor judgment choices with people in the past, like Jimmy, who was in love with someone else, and Danny, Dandy, who was psycho, um, they just kind of resolved within themselves to be happy like the other freaks and enjoy pleasure, which to them is, hey, let's get laid. <laughs> and I think that also to some degree, beforehand they were thinking of themselves as like, here we are alone in the world in this, you know, Mm-hmm. weird freakish body with nobody we can relate to but since then and they've had to kind of rely on each other in different um, dire situations they've come to realize they're not alone they always have each other and they always have had each other and so they've kind of you know the experiences they've gone through have newly bonded them together which I appreciate and um, they do finally seem happy and I really liked the scene with that little French guy where they were <laughs> like so <laughs> weird yeah <laughs> I'm French what do you expect he starts looking. Tough. Yeah, <laughs> they're trying. They're trying to find the right man to deflower them. Mm-hmm. And who comes along? But Chester, the traveling salesman, none other than uh, Neil Patrick Harris himself, um, who has arrived to pretty clearly. We see steal the heart of the yeah single hearts. heart of Ben Dot. I think it's just one heart, isn't it? One heart, one or no? Is it two hearts and two? It's two, I think. Yeah. Okay, it's the hearts of Ben Dot. Um. And so at the beginning here, right away, he, he envisions there in the scene where he first meets them and kind of seems yeah. to be falling in love with them, he sees their heads as two completely different women. And right. that took me a little bit by surprise. I mean, we knew something was wrong with him at first. What did you kind of – what did you think was going on when you first saw that? I assumed that we were going to find out about who these two women were and, and, I mean, off the bat, I thought he knew another Siamese twin you know, sisters or something like that. But obviously because it was a flash and he kind of like checked himself and was like, oh, what am I looking at? We knew we were going to get a little into his background, but I didn't really anticipate it going the direction it did. Right, well... <laughs> what did you mean, think? I didn't either, but um, when, when his whole story kind of was laid out more, it definitely makes sense with the themes we've kind of hit over and over again in the season. Um, but I think he's kind of a unique take on it, which I, I liked. Um, yeah. So talking about, obviously, he's a magician, but more than a magician, he's also a ventriloquist. And so, you know, when he's performing for Elsa, we're introduced to 
Marjorie, which I want to ask, when you first heard the voice of Marjorie, did oh, you realize I knew it was exactly Jamie Burr? Me too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I of was course. so happy too. <laughs> For those who maybe didn't watch the other seasons, the character of Marjorie, the voice, and later we see the actual, you know, manifestation of Marjorie is played by Jamie Brewer, who is a uh, an actress who's been both on Murder House and in Coven. Was she in Asylum as well? Yes, she was. I don't, was she? Was she? I thought I, I think she was. Okay, maybe. I don't remember in Asylum, but definitely in uh, Coven and uh, Murder House, yeah. Maybe she wasn't in Asylum, but she was definitely in Murder House and Coven, and has always been great. So I thought it was it was kind of a neat surprise when we heard her voice, and I was like, oh, we're going to... I yeah. thought maybe they were just going to only make her the voice, which would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but, but it was also really creepy to see... Her come her to life. Manifest, yeah. yeah, as a person. So obviously we're getting... A, Very cool. Um, so when he first does the voice... Oh, well, we should note that uh, Chester tells everybody that he has some nerve issues that do, do have to do with basically he has post-traumatic stress disorder from World War II when he flew into Normandy. Um, and so that kind of puts you uh, um, starting to wonder about him to begin with. And it's just another example of freakishness that is not visible on the outside. And what right. I liked about that though is it's like a different, it's not just somebody being born messed up. It's developed. Like, yeah, like Dell or Dandy or something like that. It was yeah. It's it's that's from, a good point. I didn't agree. I didn't really that in register, but yeah, that's a really it, good it's, point. It's from outside trauma and societal right. influence, which is a whole different kind of you know freakishness. We didn't even we haven't really covered before, which I think makes him an interesting character. I agree. And, yeah. and so when he first pulled Marjorie out, and you kind of learned about the relationship with him, and then we kind of see him um, talking with Marjorie as if she was a real person. Did you think that we were having like a Chucky moment, or did you think that it was all in his head? I that's a that's a good way to put it. Um, I t- couldn't tell at that point because um, the way they kept shooting the camera to uh, Marjorie, like at her eye and like the side of her face, and you know when Elsa was, you know, looking over there at them, at her, it made it almost it gave the dummy a little bit of character, a little bit of life that made me think that we might be having a Chucky moment at some point and mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past American Horror Story to have a creepy doll uh, um, killer storyline but um, the more I see him interact I think the more I realize he's just kind of off his rocker as the one lady eventually tells him and he just spirals this whole episode <laughs> devolving mm-hmm. into his insanity with Marjorie yeah, he clearly, I think you're right. I think at first I thought maybe Marjorie was like a creepy magic real-life doll, but really it, we end up, and I agree with you, I think it's just she is, for some reason, how his um, post-traumatic stress, stress disorder decided to manifest itself. And a couple of theories on this, I wanted to hear what you thought. Mm-hmm. Um, why, then, would his PTSD take the you know, take on a child doll? And my, my thought was maybe it has to do with innocence, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he probably saw some really terrible things in the war. And so the reason that he um, has become attached to this childhood toy is because it kind of represents that whole innocence of youth. Um, of course, the irony of which is that the doll ends up being a killer, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really that innocent of anything. But right. Yeah, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know without knowing when he came across that doll. Uh, you know, if it was something he had before, you know, his wife started having the affair with the other woman, or if it was something he found 
at that moment or you know i gotta know when he found this damn doll and then i think i'll have a better idea of you know why the doll became so significant in his uh in his disorder true maybe we'll continue to get more background on it because we we've kind of gotten a couple glimpses and so why don't we even go ahead and talk about those now um we see a scene, basically a really creepy scene, in which he's just smoking in his military uniform with Marjorie <laughs> on his leg while two women are having sex with each other. Um, and he's just kind of watching. So at first I thought maybe they were prostitutes and maybe he yeah. just had a thing for watching. Me too. Me too. That's what I thought. Yep. Um, but then pretty quickly we learn that one of them is his wife and that she appears to be uh, a bisexual, I guess, but maybe like, you know, he he's accepted it now that he's back from the war, and like they kind of have, are okay with, you know, they kind of had made some arrangement, but he's still he's not super into kind it. of, yeah, yeah, apparently not. Um, and so, you know, we learn that the wife's girlfriend, who is also another uh, maybe a war a widow. widow, we don't we don't know whether or not her husband died, but I think it's kind of implied that maybe he did. Um, she decides she's going to take Marjorie from him and hide Marjorie um, to kind of fix him because, you know, they see him as being screwed up, which is really just his post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, it's, basically what's implied is he flips out and kills them. Mm-hmm. Although in his mind, it's Marjorie doing it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And we, and we see and we see that scene with Jamie Brewer just stabbing them both, and it's pretty brutal, and there's blood I, everywhere. I think she's hammering them. I think it was like a little hammer that I saw her swinging at. Yeah. Oh, like Bob the Builder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty – that was that was a pretty gory scene. Um, yeah. And he seems to kind of be in denial about himself actually doing any of the – the murderous deeds. Um, although, you know, Marjorie seems to be compelling him to, to do more murders further on. So, um, let's kind of jump back for a second and just talk about, so, uh, he, Chester seems to be flirting with Bet and Dot and that's how they perceive it. Um, Mm -hmm. when, you know, when he asks them to be his assistants because they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, but he kind of seems surprised when they approach him and tell him that, you know, they're the ones, the one, he's the, He's the one they want to deflower them. While um, grabbing his crotch. Right. So he seems kind of surprised by that. Why do you think that like he was suppressing, you know, he he was attracted to them but was suppressing those thoughts? Because another thing is that like Marjorie even mentions, I think she even says something to him like as they're seducing him, like he's not into this or something like that. Like, And I was almost wondering, you know, the way he puts Rouge on so heavily and then Paul makes a comment about... Um, too you much know, rouge. Yeah, him being like part of the nutcracker or something like yeah, that. Yeah. If if maybe the reason he likes you know, maybe he wishes he was a woman. Like you know, he's putting on heavy rouge, he you know, and he the way he likes to watch the woman have sex, maybe he I don't he's know. Learning. I don't know. I didn't I didn't think about that. I thought he was just kind of Or just couldn't put, get it up. Or well that I mean we had that with Dell, but like I, I was thinking more he was putting on his mask to become something else um, that wasn't a soldier dealing with all that other shit that he had to deal with. This was his kind of makeup and becoming who he was, which is a magician, or he wants to really be, which is a magician with Marjorie, as opposed mm-hmm. to the, the PTSD soldier. Yeah, he's kind of creating a new identity for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so he does end up having sex with Bette and Dot, and I don't know. What did you think about this scene, the way it was filmed? Well, at first I was like, he's like, okay, all right, we got a little three-way. And then all of a sudden he runs over and grabs Marjorie. He's like, eh, it's a four-way. <laughs> it was so creepy. Two when people you see the are dolls. hard with wood. <laughs> Pinocchio. That's what we... Um, I, it was pretty cool the way they shot it. I like that, you know, they kind of do the split screen and... And then he's in the middle, and then we get a lot of Neil Patrick Harris butt, which is kind of funny. <laughs> it, yeah, the split screen it was, was awkward, weird, and, the, it was... and then we just see him on top of the two bodies. And <laughs> I think it was, yeah. it was it was supposed to be weird though, and I kind of thought yeah. it was it was entertaining the way they did it. That was oh sure. yeah, it was fun. Um, so of course Dandy learns about um. Yeah, he hires a private eye to spy basically on Bet and Dot because he's still in love with them. Um, and we know that he's once said that they were, you know, his only chance of happiness, and he he lost he lost that. So he's trying to find out what's going on with them, and the private eye reports back that they appear to be in love with Chester or have some kind of relationship going on with Chester. So Dandy, naturally jealous, decides he's going to uh, set up Chester. Also, when Dandy came on, I was like, oh, yeah, you. And then and then now his motivation seems so weird. He just murdered a crap load of people, and now he's got a private his private cop looking after Bet and Dot. It's just, I don't know. Now he's kind of being weird. Well, but then again, you got to think, like, his obsession with Bet and Dot was established the first time we saw him, right? True. He wanted to buy them immediately. They got taken away from him, um, you know. This storyline is not particularly new in that sense, and no, really, yeah. that's the that's the most continuous thing we've you know, probably one of the most more con, you know, consistent threads we've seen throughout the the ser- the episode or the season so far. Uh, but I know what you mean. It was kind of like we hadn't seen him, and all of a sudden, oh hey, there's Dandy again. Right, um, of course, like, yeah. I don't know. He's not I, I, anyway. Why wouldn't he just I, go murder the dude? Like he murders everyone else. <laughs> Because I don't know, I kind of I enjoy him, so I kind of I oh no, I do too. But he just now he seems a little inconsistent to me. I don't know, maybe that's me just being picky and haven't seen the show for three weeks, so I forget. But no, I agree. You know, his behavior this far is like, well, why he wouldn't he just want to go ahead and murder him? He can murder whoever he wants because he's the police on his side. But maybe he just realizes that he has so much stuff on his side that he has no problem with just fucking with people. Because hey, why not? Yeah, I guess he put Jimmy in jail. So well, and then he shows up, and you know, so when. Chester is off buying the whole freak show from Elsa um, and is being really weird and creepy about it. And telling so her that, weird. Uh, he's going to make that entire tent, the Marjorie the Dolls tent, Elsa's tent, and that she's going to be the headliner. Um, in the meantime, Dandy has managed to steal Marjorie. Um, so... so Here's the big question about all this. Dandy has stolen Marjorie and has placed her in the big tent, right? And so um, when the police show up and are looking for missing Jimmy, Chester freaks out and is, like, asking the police. And everyone's kind of looking at Chester like, what the hell's wrong with you? You are weird, dude, yeah. You're talking about your doll, right? Tone it down. So he continues to look around and eventually runs into Dandy in his brilliant fur coat, I will say. Yeah. Um who knows all this background because he had all the background done, and that's how he knows that Chester is kind of on the run for murder. Um, he, you know, he tells Chester that Marjorie is in the big, you know, he says that she was mad at him for 
kind of ignoring her and for what he did to the twins. So somehow Danny knows that Chester had sex with the twins. Uh, maybe that's just inferred, I guess. But then he says Marjorie's in the big tent and wants to um, wants him to saw the twin. Or okay, he tells him that he just tells him she's Marjorie, in the tent, right? And right. Goes. So, well, and so here's the thing: it's like how did how did Dandy know that that's well? But Dandy I don't think I, I don't think he knew. He just kind of hints at that she, you know, wants to talk to him about some stuff. Was he trying to plant the seed that, like... I think it, so. It, se- it seemed like he was maybe trying to plant the seed that she was jealous of the twins. That's, um, that's he did say, I think. And, or, so, uh, yeah, but, uh, sorry, Chester um, um, inferred that from d- whatever Danny was saying. He's like, oh, it's jealousy. Right, and so maybe it just... So I guess that's what we, you know, assumed Danny was doing. Because obviously, if Marjorie is a manifestation of Chester's imagination because of post-traumatic stress disorder... Then really, Dandy knew that, and what he was trying to do was kind of plant the seeds in Chester's mind, so that way, when he found Marjorie, she would be the one. You know, that's what she would ask of him. So Marjorie is basically. But asking, also, but why would Dandy want Marjorie to want him to kill the twins? Well, here's the thing, and I think this is from watching the preview um, of next episode. It, they didn't outright say this, but we do see a scene of Dandy and the twins together, and so. I think what Dandy's plan is is he wants to win the twins back, right? Oh, rescue. And so, right, and so he's trying to turn Chester, this person they think they love, against the twins, so that way he can be their savior and come to the twins and say, "That makes sense." You yeah. know, Chester's going to try to t- to kill you. I'm going to be your hero. Yeah, he's going to try to sense. saw you in half. Also, a very kind of fitting that Chester's going to saw them in half after they no longer want to be sawed apart. Um, yeah, or or you know, two individual people. It, it really feels because uh, I remember at this part I'm like, what the f is the point of Chester? And it really seems like he, even though I want to see Neil Patrick Harris, he's a device just to get Dandy back in the scenes with the freak show. I think that's right. I think you. I think that he, he's a device specifically to kind of uh, bring Dandy back to the freak show and involve the twins again. Which I mean. We were wondering before all this, you know, in the past couple episodes, like, how the hell is Dandy going to be associated with a freak show again? So yeah. they need, they needed something like that. And so, yeah. that, I mean, that makes I sense. Think, yeah, it does. And, you know, not to be like, I don't want to hammer on the writers too hard on this season, but they have so many characters that you think with so many characters they're starting with, it'd be easy to tighten it up like they do with, you know, smaller show, or shows with big casts. Like, you know, like The Walking Dead, let's say, where there's a lot of cast members, but they use them really smartly to, you know, get different groups together and whatnot. Where this one, they're like, oh, crap, how do we get Dandy back with the freak show? Oh, let's introduce a two, a character in, for two episodes at the end. I don't know. It just seems a little, come on, guys. We can figure this out. Do it right a lot tighter. Scandal does it with, like, five characters, and it's brilliant. Well, and I mean, I think that part of that is that, you know, the the writers seem to be very susceptible to falling into rabbit holes of, like, storylines, like the whole Pepper episode, which is basically almost a bottle episode where it's, like, it's not even, um, you know, it's self-contained, you know, like right. we were talking about. Um, it's not really related to the advancement of any other parts of, of the plot. And it was right. a whole episode they used for that, which, like... On the one hand, it was cool, like, as fans of Pepper in the past, we thought it was cool to see that. But on the other hand, 
yeah, you just wasted an entire episode not moving the entire story of the show forward at all. Right. I, I mean, I remember us talking about that episode would have worked great in Asylum. <laughs> right, exactly. But, yeah, um, no, I, I agree. I don't know. And, it, and, and I, again, I like it's fun. But, you know, remember when um, the twins and Elsa had that rivalry and now that's kind of disappeared and they're not even in any scenes together at all and... I don't know, it just seems like, oh, let's make this happen this episode, because we need something to do, and then, like, oh, crap, we gotta get Dandy back into the freak show, so let's get Neil Pat- call Neil Patrick Harris up, because he's brilliant. I don't know. I'm coming, I'm sounding a lot negative on it, but it's just toward the end of the season, and I'm kind of, you know, seeing some things that aren't as, that made him get a little tired of, even though I what love I, the show. What I would say about it is this, that I agree with you, that I think that, it, you know, he's... It's annoying that he's coming in so late in the season. Um, and, you know, it seems like we kind of had some storylines that ended up not really going anywhere or really getting finished earlier on. But I like that they're bringing him in now because I feel like he's a strong he's a strong closer and, like, I like his character and I think he does a good job. Um, so maybe they're going to kind of, you know, have a strong finish to what maybe we consider some of the more weaker plot lines in the middle. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad they have Neil Patrick Harris on, and I'm glad he's here. Uh, and I, I like his character, and I like kind of the interesting take on the freakishness that he has. Mm-hmm, and, the mar- yeah. and, and the Marjorie thing is so weird. Also, I think it's funny that she's kind of dressed like the Lorp and Annie is creepy. Um, <laughs> but I like that character, and I like where that's going. So I know we kind of have a new storyline with him and everything, but I understand why they brought him to kind of, like you said, bring Dandy back to the freak show. And... I thought the idea about you know him now wanting to saw the twins in half, I think that's clever. And I think that his post-traumatic stress disorder is interesting and different. And I think it really it's a clever way to bring Dandy back to the freak show that makes sense, at least in my mind. And so I feel like this is a strong finish, and I wish that we had – I just wish we brought it in sooner because I agree with you. I don't like that they're bringing in a new character this late in the season, but I get it. It's like at this point, you know, obviously we can't go back and bring him in so, You know, we – those episodes were already done, so if we have to have him now, I'm glad he's here. Yeah. I think, I mean, I just wish it felt more like, and maybe they do this, and I'm just being super critical, because Lord knows I couldn't really do this, but, you know, if you know you have 13 episodes, write it out <laughs> in, uh, as from beginning to end, and then and then work in how your episodes will work. It doesn't feel like they do that. I agree with you. I think that it seems like a lot of time maybe they start like have like a loose outline, and yeah. then they actually you know they write the they'll write three episodes and then they'll write you know film them and then they'll write three more kind of based yeah. on how they feel like, like things went. Like we'd say, we, I'm sure they know their beginning and their end, but it's how they get to those you know A to B. Yeah, A to B is where the, the some of these kind of easy plot devices come in to help move things along in the direction they want instead of really critically thinking about how. Are we going to make this seem organic? Well, I think what we've uh, we've hit on this before is what the result of that ends up being is that you get some really awesome individual scenes, but the cohesive storyline is not particularly strong. Yeah. Right? And you can't um, probably be as scary. I don't know. Maybe you can. 
No, I think you're. I don't. I think you're right because well, you you're not. You don't have as much room to build up that suspension tension because you don't have it planned over such a long period of time. You can have specific, very gory scenes or a specific kind of scary scene, right. which we have a lot of. But like, and I think that's why I feel like that's why you know season one was particularly good is because it very slowly built up the tension and the scary, yeah, the scariness of it, right? Um. Anyway, I, I agree with you on those points, but I, I mean, I'm glad Chester's here, and I'm curious to see where he's going. Uh, I want to talk about the final scene we have here, which is Maggie and Desiree show back up, of course, at the freak show. I, they showed. I was like, oh yeah, you're on this show too. <laughs> right, we hadn't seen them all episode. Forgot but about they show you guys. Just in time. Um, to they uh, somehow they stole the jar yeah. of mappetite from the. Um, you know, All the way up in the north. Oddities, yeah. And have brought it back down to Florida. I guess that's why they were gone for so long, because they were driving for who knows how long, 25 yeah, hours. for a week. Hours. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and Desiree gets Del to confess to everything he's done. And, I mean, you see real regret in him. Um, I, you know, yeah. And I, yeah, I think so. I think that he really believes that he was cornered, and that's why he did it. And he really despises himself for it, and he was really trying to make up for it by saving Jimmy. Yeah. Um, and we had talked about him needing to redeem himself. And so, uh, well, so let's go ahead and say it. When uh, Well, yeah, uh, you think, yeah. Well, yeah, after, so after, Elsa sees, or Petite. Uh, Maggie tells, brings Elsa to see Ma Petite's body and um, in suspension in that liquid. I'm assuming formaldehyde, and then uh, and then we cut to the trailer where um, Desiree is getting Del to confess, not just to the police, but who else did you kill? Who else did you kill? She has some words with him. He says "ma petite," and he does look remorseful, and that uh, he's embarrassed about himself, and he really does regret it. And as soon as he says he killed "ma petite," he gets falls down to his knees, and all of a sudden you see bang. Right through his forehead. And what did you think when that happened? I mean, you find out really quickly, but... Well, I mean, obviously... obviously, You think dead. Desiree um, did it. Yes, and then you realize that it was Elsa, Elsa. behind him. And that, and that makes more sense. Oh, uh, totally. It made more sense when that happened, because I, I think Desiree... She knows him well enough that I think she would have been somewhat more sympathetic to his situation, even though she would have still been pissed about it. Yeah. Um... But, I don't know. I was like, "Yep, Dell had to go." Well, well, yeah, I was gonna say, did you expect it to happen right then? Um, no, but I, but when it happened, I agreed with it. I was like, "Yeah, that's you know, he's kind of done his arc as well as he can. There's no way he's gonna come back from killing the most innocent person <laughs> on the show." Well, well, and that's what I was gonna ask you. I guess is we had talked about you know after doing that, he the he would have to die by redeeming himself. Do you think he did that? Because it seems like he was more in the process, but he didn't, you know. He didn't die heroically necessarily. No, so I don't think he is completely redeemed. I think in death he finds a little more, there's a little more resolution in that he wasn't an an evil person. He was just a really screwed up, um, manipulated person. But he was weak and he wasn't as strong, like the strong man, uh, as, as he knows he could have been and should have been. So I don't think, 
you know, we see him redeemed completely, but we, I think we see him as a very flawed and, and tortured person that didn't make good choices and did murder someone. Well, and I think it'll be interesting to see Jimmy's reaction because obviously he'll be upset when he learns about Ma Petit, but at the same time, he's finally built a relationship with his father, had recently lost his mother, yeah, and, and Del's the one who and saved him from, from <laughs> going back to the PlayStation and, you know, assuming, you know, assuming... He, um, he'd be killed there. So he saved him from getting killed too. And so I think that Jimmy's probably going to have really mixed feelings about that. And we know what kind of um, depression the death of his mother sunk him into. It'll be very interesting yeah. to see how he reacts to this. Especially now that he doesn't have his hands either. Um, yeah, so I, you're right. I think that you know he, he made small steps toward redemption, but he didn't fully redeem himself. And there was no way he could because of how heinous kind of what he, he did was. By killing Mappetit, I think he even realized that you know when he, you know, was kind of sobbing after confessing that he suffocated her. Um, one thing I want to mention is just that we haven't really given proper um, accolades to how good Michael Chiklis was, especially I feel like in more recent episodes. Yeah, he's um, pretty strong. I I, I really enjoy I really enjoyed uh, you know I. His, especially his interactions with Jimmy when they were at the bar, um, and even in this episode when they were doing the father son thing, I thought he was pretty terrific. Um, his acting was pretty terrific, and um, he did a good job. I liked him this season. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss him on the show. I think we'll see if he comes back next season. Well, there's five other people that we didn't see really this episode that can step in and take up some space now. Yeah, you know, by killing another person, we we leave more room for someone to do. But then again, we yeah. got a new character too. <laughs> so yeah, that's taking up a lot of time as well. You think they'd uh, want to work more with their the characters they actually have that are full time? Yeah, like Edward uh, Mordrake. Think... Remember when that happened? <laughs> they like layering these, uh, you know, all these new, all these different narratives and these guest appearances. Though that's kind of. It seems a hallmark yeah. of the show now. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I don't know. What do you think? What's your overall take on this episode? What rating do you give it? Um, I mean, you heard some of my concerns already, so I'll just keep it short. I give this episode a three. Three. I didn't like it. I didn't dislike it. I just it wasn't that strong for me. And for you know, next week is our penultimate episode, and this is how we're putting things into place for the finale in two episodes. Just, I'm not really on the edge of my seat being like, Oh my God. You know, I, I think I liked it more than you did. I, I liked the introduction of Chester as, I almost saw him as kind of like a super glue of, of the season where it was like the editors were like, or the writers were like, Oh shit, what are we going to do to bring this all together? And they're like, let's bring in Neil Patrick Harris and make him this really interesting, intriguing character and he'll bring kind of the show back together. And um, I could kind of see it coming together. I don't know. Um, there's certain parts of it I'm looking forward to seeing. And we had, you know, obviously drama with Dell dying. But I really liked all the Chester stuff and just thought that was weird and creepy and interesting. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a four. Um, so we're looking at seven out of ten. But I'm curious to see where we go these last two episodes. I think that there's... And I'll um, happily eat crow if it turns out to be amazing and brilliant. Like, I want i'd want it to be well we have some resolution i mean obviously the resolutions we kind of still have left i mean stanley needs to get his comeuppance obviously and everyone i think it'll be i think at this point people 
they must know. Well, Maggie revealed. They'll know Stanley's, next week. Yeah, Stanley's a piece of shit, and so I think he's got to have some kind of really um, big revenge. Um, we'll have the stuff going on between Bet and Dot and Chester and Dandy, which will be interesting. And of course, we need to see what happens with Jimmy's hands. Um, and like where he's gonna go? Is he gonna get back with Maggie? So there's some still untied kind of loose threads that we're. I'm I'm curious to see. I don't know about you. Yeah. So you know, and so you didn't see the preview for next episode, right? No, I watched it. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay, so you did. Too. Yeah. So a couple things we, we already discussed the thing about um, the Bat dandy kind dandy. of approaching Ben. The other thing it looked like to me is we see um, Maggie and the saw. I don't know that I saw that part. What was it? Maggie's in the box that's getting sawed in half. Maggie's in the box somehow? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe maybe, maybe Jimmy saves her and that's how he wins her heart back. Oh, the thing I was going to say is we see um, the Axeman return. Of course, oh, yeah. in, in this season he is the doctor, um, Danny Houston, who is the doctor who gave Elsa her prosthetic. So I was thinking she's going to get Not the Jimmy. doctor, the props guy. He's not a doctor, the, remember? He makes the, props. Right, that, that's right, the props <laughs> guy. So he's going to somehow return and make Jimmy new arms is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking um, that too. Um, it'll be... <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's that's how I'm assuming we're going to resolve that. He's going to be like Geppetto to Jimmy's <laughs> Pinocchio, I guess. So maybe yeah. he'll be his new father figure too. <laughs> well, he could use that. He could use family. All right, folks. Well, um, we need to get running, but we appreciate you joining us again for this episode of This American Horror Story. As always, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash This American Horror Story podcast and leave us comments and questions. We do interact. We love to, and we'll talk about it next episode. Um, and email us, too, at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And, of course, find us on iTunes and um, rate us, review us, also on Stitcher. Chris, where can people find more of your um, work and thoughts and comments and photos this week? <laughs> Instagram and Twitter, at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. What about you, Tyler? I am on Instagram and Twitter at TJMoss11. Um, and we love to chat with you guys there as well. Um, Thanks to you guys who already do that with us. It's fun. It is fun, and uh, we hope you have an awesome week. It is a butt-ass cold five. Oh my god, negative five degrees outside. So it's negative three here. This sucks. That's why I'm recording from my bed. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a blanket and a drink to keep me warm for now. Um, But anyway, uh, until next week, guys. We can't wait to talk with you again. Happy awnings. Y'all can't stop me now. Listen to me now. I'm lasting 20 rounds. And if you want me, then come on, get me now. Is you with me now? Then big it, big it, bounce. I know you dig the way I switch my style. Hello. People sing around. Now people gather around. Now people jump around. You know, me and Tim were lambing high since 20 years ago. 